0: Welcome to Talking Shop, Herbert Smith Freehill's podcast series, exploring the latest global trends for consumer sector companies. I'm Eva Zurip, a partner and commercial litigator in our Melbourne office, specialising in defending class actions and product liability litigation, with a particular focus on the consumer sector. Talking Shop with us today, we have Josh Todd, Julia Mayenza and George McCubbin. Welcome.
1: Hello, everyone. Hi, everyone. Hello.
0: Josh is in Melbourne and is the digital asset and blockchain lead of the firm's Emerging Technology Group in APAC, specialising in digital assets and emerging technology, including digital assets, smart legal contracts and finance law. Julia is an associate from our Milan office and is currently seconded to London, where she advises on IP matters for clients, including in the fashion, TMT and food categories, and she's also a member of the INTA Emerging Technology Committee. And George is a senior associate in the London office, specializing in patents, trademarks and copyright. And over the last few years, relevantly, non-fungible tokens or NFTs. So today we are talking about the rise of the NFT as a marketplace for the consumer sector. So let's start at the very beginning. Why are NFTs relevant to the consumer sector right now?
1: Wait, why are we talking about these now? Aren't they dead and a relic of the COVID crypto boom? Like Dogecoin and all of the other meme coins?
2: Well, as we will explain in a moment, NFTs are very much still relevant and do have pervasive use case that we are still seeing today. And will become more and more prevalent in the future in a number of different and new sectors. Did you know by any chance that NFT can also be linked to food products, fashion clothes or consumer experience?
3: that's a very interesting point, Julia. But before we discuss this, we should probably explain what an NFT is for those who have forgotten.
2: Yes, or for those who never understood them in the first place. Or if you were a blockchain skeptic, a good example of financial fraud and runaway enthusiasm and were not worth
3: understanding. Okay, so bear with me for a moment while I explain what an NFT is. Uh, It's a unique digital token created using a smart contract and recorded on a blockchain, which is used to certify ownership and authenticity. So how it works is that when an NFT is created, a token is added as a block of digital data to the chain, which is effectively a long string of numbers and letters. These blocks stack next to each other, end to end, and because they are linked together, the data in each block is immutable. That is, it cannot be changed without affecting the whole chain
2: so wait george the non-fungible part of the name just means that no two nft are exchangeable with each other
3: exactly so they cannot be copied substituted subdivided and they function like a unique certificate of authenticity or a record of ownership that links to the underlying asset think of an analogy to kind of the certificate of authenticity you get with artworks or limited edition prints
2: yeah, and just one important thing to explain here, I think, is that NFT is very different from the underlying asset that the NFT represents. And NFT just refers to the string of data, as we say, the hash that identified is on the relevant blockchain. However, NFT often link in their metadata to a virtual or a physical product. But you need to understand that that product is a different thing from the asset itself.
1: Okay, so you mean to tell me that the NFT is different from those app pictures or pixelated profile pictures?
2: I think, Josh, you're probably referring to the Bored Ape Yacht Club collection from Yuga Labs, as well as the CryptoCamp Punks collection initially created by Larva Labs that are now owned by Yuga Labs. But in any case, yes, while an NFT may link to a URL on the internet where the image file of the Board Ape or crypto can be stored. The NFT is itself a collection of metadata stored in that blockchain. This metadata includes information about where the image is stored, as well, for example, who originally created, the name of the token, royalties, licensing, and transfer uh, et term, etc. This is important to keep in mind when transacting intellectual property or other rights associated with NFT and the underlying assets. And it's always key to understand what you are purchasing or licensing. You know, often you are purchasing the metadata and subject to the terms embedded in the NFT metadata, sometimes licensing also the picture for commercial or for personal use.
1: I think um, what is key from a legal perspective is that the parties acknowledge that simply purchasing an NFT doesn't mean you own the underlying asset to which the NFT relates. If the underlying asset is, for example, uh, physical property, uh, some sort of property, real property or or perhaps land, then the NFT holder would need to comply with the usual transfer and registration requirements in the relevant jurisdiction. In order for the NFT holder to hold title to that land, it would be the case for other forms of tangible property as well, but where the underlying asset is intellectual property, it can be either assigned or licensed through a contract without a license or an assignment of the copyright from the nft creator the nft holder cannot exercise any of the rights under copyright so they couldn't reproduce it they couldn't adapt it and they couldn't publicly display the artwork that is associated with the nft making it largely redundant most nfts now actually try and document the assignment or the licensing provisions by way of a smart contract Now, I certainly don't think we have time to kind of unpack what a smart contract is for the purpose of this podcast, but at its most basic and in the context of an NFT, it is a self-deterministic computer program. That computer program is then stored on the blockchain and the program itself facilitates both the creation and the transfer of the NFT and will often actually automate uh, royalty payments back to the NFT creator. So it's Common for sellers to include express licensing terms in the contract source code of the NFT. And they'd usually do this by reference to a URL uh, where those terms uh, can be accessed. So if you go on to OpenSea or EtherScan, for example, and select an NFT and proceed to look at the contract source code, on many NFTs, you'll see the URL which will take you to the licensing terms located on a different website. Now, this raises an interesting question as to whether these terms are actually enforceable and what happens if the URL is removed. But again, we won't probably touch on that for today's podcast. In uh, in any event, a key consideration for the NFT holders or a party looking to actually buy an NFT is what are the licensing terms? You know, is it a personal license or is it for commercial use? And are there any automatic termination provisions? So a common termination provision is using the artwork in say any hate speech but there could very well be others. And when these termination provisions are triggered, the smart contract or the NFT creator may actually burn the NFT and the artwork itself and the the purchaser, the owner, the NFT holder may not have access to that uh, going forward. So probably to bring this all together, you know, there's a number of major players in the industry who are working very hard to standardise these licensing terms, and Andreessen Horowitz is, is certainly one of them. And these standardised contracts are seeking to help NFTs create, uh, NFT creators protect, uh, and it's helping them release their intellectual property rights. And it's also granting NFT holders with some sort of baseline of rights that are irrevocable, that are enforceable, and, and are certainly easier to understand.
0: Right. Fantastic. So we've covered what NFTs are. Let's talk about some of those trends and applications that you're seeing, particularly in the consumer sector.
3: Yeah, it's probably best to do this by reference to a number of the uses that we've seen, uh, especially being enabled and facilitated by NFTs over the last few years.
2: Yeah, so George, I think while the early use that we've seen over the last couple of years have been dominated by transactional images, including static images like the board Ape One, or we can say more like artistic works from digital creatives, there are now more versatile use that have developed over this time and that I think render NFT very fashionable and useful now.
3: Don't you think so? So. Oh. I mean, let's just say you wanna sell some really high-end bottles of wine, but you wanna give your customers a way of easily transacting in those bottles without having to physically store them or, or transfer them personally, especially when they're bought and sold. So you can sell the wine by first transferring an NFT to the purchaser, and you link each NFT to a physical bottle that is then stored on your premises so the consumer is free to transact with the nft which is then a lot easier than moving the bottle around and whenever the end purchaser decides that they want the bottle they just have to redeem the nft and this is actually what treasury wines did with a very limited sale of their penfold wine in australia and they used a marketplace known as BlockBar, which actually offers a way uh, to f- facilitate the um, purchase and sale of alcohol related nfts and products
2: Yeah, or moving from like beverage industry to fashion, we can think about major retail of fashion brands that want to grant consumer access to limited or future or exclusive experience and products. For example, Tiffany & Co craft jewels and crusted pendants for CryptoPunk NFT owners. Or let's think about the Nike case where like the swoosh NFT platform allows uh, Nike members to collect and help co-create digital sneaker and jersey. Or I can think about Adidas into the Metaverse member hold NFT, providing them exclusive right to purchase special physical merch drops. Yeah, so talking about these like well-known luxury fashion goods, this also seems like a, a really good way to avoid counterfeiting of the product.
3: Yeah, I mean indeed. So, I think NFTs have a lot of promise in anti-counterfeiting measures. There is of course the added issue then of trying to find ways to link the physical real-world product to the NFT. So, you don't just have counterfeiters making fake physical products and passing them off as the ones covered by the legitimate NFT. And there are a number of companies currently working on solutions to this. And so, that requires some kind of physical uh, technology developments that use existing technologies Uh, So, for example, holographic seals or RF tags.
2: Yeah, so this was all like related to physical product, but I think that also an area where this doesn't seem like it would be a problem is where the NFT is not linked to a physical, but to a virtual asset. And indeed, uh, another big use case that we have seen for NFT will be for product that will be available in the quote-unquote metaverse.
0: So just on that, So some of our listeners will be very familiar with the concept of the metaverse, others will be less so. Um, But maybe Facebook changed their name to meta, for example, that will be familiar to most of the people who are listening. But how would you describe the metaverse and the importance of NFTs?
2: Yeah, sure, Eva, that's a good question. We can say that the metaverse is the term for a 3D digital space that consumers can inhabit. I'm not sure if you have seen Meta's version of this with Horizon Words. It's like a 3D world hosted online, which you can really access, walk around, you can talk to other people, you can do stuff. And because it's 3D, it's experienced using some virtual reality headset. And it really gives you the impression that you are Actually occupying and then you are present in this specific digital space.
3: And you know, because the metaverse is being conceived as almost this surrogate for the physical world, the same types of commerce-driven behaviors that we see in the real world—you know, like going down to the shops and buying goods or choosing what you want to wear in the morning before you go about your day—I mean, these activities will still apply in the metaverse. And so there needs to be a way to make these commercial goods. In the metaverse, which are technically infinite, you need to make them scarce so that they can be bought and sold and transacted in with value. Um, So, linking each digital asset in the metaverse to an NFT provides a way for consumers to transact in these goods.
2: Yeah, George, you know, for example, like we have seen already big brands like Nike, Louis Vuitton, or Balenciaga, they all begin to sell digital goods in the metaverse. And to do this, they have linked the digital product to an NFT. Yeah, George, you remember, for example, we have seen big brands like Nike, Louis Vuitton, or Balenciaga, and they all begin to sell digital goods in the metaverse. And to do this, they have linked the digital product to an NFT. I think in late 2021, Nike even bought a studio called Artifact for a purchase price estimated to be close, I think, to $1 billion. And Artifact had developed a market, created virtual footwear and clothing. And later they started selling avatars and, of course, using like this kind of virtual footwear. Think of these as skins that people could adopt while in the metaverse and actually wear it.
0: So for our clients in the consumer sector exploring the relevance of NFTs and the metaverse in their own strategy, What should brands be aware of if they want to explore the the nft space
3: i mean i think i think first it's not just brands who want to explore the nft space who need to keep an eye out uh, for this area because it's relatively easy as we'll discuss in a moment for for third parties to make and sell nfts that pretend to be from or associated with third-party brands And so companies need to stay vigilant about what's happening in this arena, even if they don't themselves want to actually do anything with NFTs at the moment.
2: Yeah, so there was an interesting example of this from a few years ago, which actually then went to trial. And and in that case, an artist created and sold a collection on NFT that depicted the famous Birkin handbag, all covered in four. And he called the collection Meta Birkins. These bags were selling at auction for ten of thousands of dollars. Of course, these virtual bags. And Hermès, the famous fashion brand who makes, let's say, the real Birkin bag, So this and took legal action in New York, alleging various causes of action, including registered trademark infringement, and other claims such, for example, trademark dilution, cybersquoting and so on, on the specific MetaBurkin
3: domain names. So Hermes were obviously concerned that the re- release of this MetaBurkin's NFT collection might be falsely attributed to them and might cause brand dilution, Julia?
2: Yes, indeed, George, that's right. And do you know that, like, quite recently, a Manhattan federal jury found in favor of Hermes awarding damages for trademark infringement and cyber-squatting. And what the court decided, it's like they considered that these meta-Berkins were likely to confuse the consumers, and that the artist's conduct could not be excused by freedom of creative expression exception, that, as you know, is like a very typical US, like fair use-related exception. In that case, Hermès had sought damages to, let's say, in part, compensate for the losses resulting from the impact on its plan to enter directly in NFT market itself. And so the fact that the artists try to sell this NFT, of course, according to, to Hermes, and then the judge could create this confusion and this, let's say, trademark dilution.
3: Yeah, and I think I think Julia, there's been a European case too uh, involving the Juventus football club in in Italy, and they took action against the provider of an NFT-backed trading cards. And these trading cards were depicting famous players wearing the uniforms of the football clubs, um, you know, including Juventus, so the distinctive uh, logo on it. And the, there, the the Italian court found that there was trademark infringement by um, depicting the the logo on uh, these trading cards, these NFT trading cards. And they found that consumers might uh, be misled to believe that the NFTs had been created by, uh, or authorized by Juventus.
2: Yeah, yeah, George, that was another, like, really interesting case. And I think one of the, like, first one and only one in the European market till now. But, you know, like, of course, against, like, companies, but even as NFT owners themselves, have taken action against other NFT collections. In a recent decision, I think in New York, uh, the owners of the Bored Apes, Yuga Labs, for example, successfully sued the creator of a parody collection known as the Rider Reap's Bored Yacht, Ape Yacht. We have written a longer blog of this about all of these cases, if you are interested, like, focus more.
0: And what are some of the strategies that companies can adopt to be prepared for potential issues arising through the metaverse and NFTs, like the kind of third party behavior that arose in some of those examples that you've just mentioned?
3: So I think Josh also raised a few really important points uh, earlier earlier in this this chat. Um, But, you know, I think for a starter, companies should become really familiar with the NFT marketplaces as well and so you know actually learn how to search them how to get across them and do conduct periodic searches just to see if any of their ip is being traded without their knowledge you can also use image matching technologies such as google's reverse image search and this can be used to check whether specific image files are present on unauthorized domains
2: yeah yeah george this is very interesting and I think another suggestion we could give is that companies should be clear and open about their general involvement in like, the NFT space. They have like to try to like make it easy for the public to see how many legitimate NFT have been sold by their company and where these are available for sale. Companies could also think and consider about buying what's so-called an Ethereum name service for the brand names, which, how I say, is like a type of domain name that uses words as an identifier rather than an alphanumeric string of character associated with cryptocurrency address addresses. By, rele- by releasing under uh, ENS, the creator of NFT can draw clear
3: link between their identity and the NFT being sold by them. Also, Julia, in terms of trademarks, companies may want to consider filing new trademark applications in additional categories to protect virtual products, so such as classes 9, 35 and 41 relate to virtual goods. Uh, And this is to prevent third parties trying to obtain protection for the same goods or services in such classes and to do so before uh, the, the authorized brand does. Um, Although there remains an open question about whether trademark offices and IP courts may extend the definition of products in a specific class that is a physical class to also include the virtual version of the same physical class. Um, And that creates a parallel between the real world and the virtual world. But it's not really tested at this moment. And so we don't know whether uh, IP offices or courts will actually interchange the the kind of physical digital classes as well
2: yeah yeah i agree george i think we should like wait probably a bit more to like have an answer to this question but i think that we we already know and then we can like probably the last suggestion promise that we can give to companies is that they should develop a policy around what to do if infringing ip use is detected as part of I don't know, like a routine monitoring. They could, for example, start like drafting template takedown letter, which could be sent to NFT marketplace, even if an uh, authorized NFT release is found. And if required, and as as we have seen before uh, in the Metabirkin case, uh, sometime they should also think about starting the collection for IP infringement, because this is really important, like to try to safeguard and protect your trademark, your brand and your IP assets also in relation to the virtual product and to the NFT space.
0: This is all good practical advice for companies protecting or defending their brands from misuse. But what should companies consider when thinking about releasing and selling their own NFTs?
3: We, we discussed this a little bit before. I mean, I think one, one thing to always keep in mind is that NFTs are no different to any other traditional physical goods. And so Josh touched on a lot earlier in relation to land and also your standard terms and conditions that you may want to apply. So when you are thinking about selling or releasing NFTs, just focus on the same kinds of commercial legal considerations as you would have if they were physical products. This is true for regulatory issues and also intellectual property ones too.
2: Yeah, George, exactly. And there is another example of ongoing li- litigation. This time is between Nike and StockX, the online sneaker reseller platform. StockX introduced a series of NFT called Vault NFT, which feature the image of sneakers, included of course, the Nike-branded shoes. An NFT entitled the holder to redeem the NFT in exchange for the shoes depicted by the image. But StockX will, at the same time, keep the shoe safely stored until they have the redeemed. This is like kind of similar to what you, George, were, were discussing before in relation to treasury wine, NFT, redeeming the bottle. Uh, StockX wanted to promote an active market in shoe reselling without, however, the need to physically transfer the shoes between seller and purchaser. However, this move was not really appreciated by Nike. Nike indeed has argued that the use of its trademark in the image associated with NFT constitutes
3: trademark infringement. And, I mean, Julie, I presume that StockX is arguing that they're merely using the trademarks in a descriptive manner so to inform the NFT holders of the types of shoes that are being covered by the NFT
2: yeah yeah that's exactly they claim to use it not as an indication of origin but to describe the type of products sold but you know like this type of dispute is not unique or new and I'm sure we will like continue to see these kind of things in an NFT space
3: Yeah, as you mentioned, Julie, I mean, this is really just an extension of whether or not you can sell or promote a product that contains the intellectual property of another company. You know, and we've seen this plenty of times with traditional physical goods, too. And I presume that the law in the digital space should evolve in the same manner. You know, uh, Julie, another thing to consider is to actually who owns the right to sell and release NFTs. And this may be an issue where the contract with the designer of certain goods or the creator of music or pieces of art. Did so before NFTs even existed, and so any contract with a brand will not explicitly consider who retains the right to issue NFTs.
2: Yes, and you like were mentioning music or art, but what about like movie? You know, like there was a very interesting dispute between Quentin Tarantino and the studio Miramax, exactly on this issue in relation to NFTs that Tarantino sold relating to the famous and I'm sure everyone knows movie Pulp Fiction. This is something that probably listener can Google afterwards and find out because it's a pretty interesting case.
3: Yeah, and I think when, when you do look at that case, you'll see it does raise an important point, and that is that new commercial arrangements, so ones going forward should really consider the involvement on N- of NFTs and who may or may not have the right to release them um, that point to refer, refer to the commercial work being contemplated by the contract.
2: Yeah, yeah, indeed, George. And and finally, of course, also like we don't have to forget like the terms and condition governing an NFT release should be thought about and drafted carefully. This like where, of course, we can be of help. And this is especially in relation to like aspect like intellectual property to make sure it's very clear what rights the holder of the NFT dues, do and do not have in relation to the underlying asset, uh, especially for like digital assets. It might also be interesting to think about the mechanism that are very specific to the NFTs and that can help you like then, like in a like future case when you have to deal with this NFT. Uh, as an example, if a holder breaches the term and condition of the NFT, then it may be possible to require that the NFT is destroyed, you know, like we call this like burning, as a consequence of that breach. This would be something very difficult to do for physical assets, but of course we can like do it in relation to NFT.
1: I think in addition to the IP and the other legal issues, which uh, George and Julia have flagged, um, there are a couple of other headline legal matters that need to be considered before marketing NFTs for sale. Um, The first of which is, you know, if the financial services regulation in the relevant markets apply to that NFT, If the NFT does fall within the definition of financial product or security in the jurisdiction in which the company is minting or selling the NFT, then they'll need to comply with a number of potential licensing and disclosure regimes. Another important consideration would be whether uh, the release of the NFT will trigger or breach some sort of anti-money laundering or counter-terrorism financing regulation. If uh, that analysis undertaken it's deemed that you potentially do need to comply with AML and CTF regulations, then it will be important for the NFT holder or the NFT purchase to actually consider what framework they can implement, whether that's by way of a third party or implementing that framework internally within the company itself. In addition, you know, advertising laws and consumer protections are obviously relevant. And having a clear understanding of any laws relating to, say, misleading consumers, which might actually apply to your NFT and ensuring that you don't fall foul of of those uh, protections or any other advertising laws that might actually apply uh, in the jurisdiction to which the NFT has been sold or minted. And finally, obviously tax. You know, tax law applies to the sale of the NFT potentially um, and and, and how that's considered again in the jurisdiction to which the NFT has been sold. You know, understanding exactly what the NFT does and what legal regimes may potentially apply is really key for those nft creators and those people who are looking to trade in nfts you know are you using an nft as collateral and if so how are you ensuring your interest in the nft are protected against third parties for example or when we talk about that real world artwork or the collectible or the bottle of wine which we discussed earlier if those located overseas then what do you what you have bought by way of the nft What do you need to do to ensure that the interest in that asset is not subject to some sort of third party creditor should the company which owns the warehouse which houses the good uh, becomes insolvent. So really the use cases of NFTs are numerous and the legal analysis best serves the client when the circumstances are sort of considered on a case by case basis.
0: Well, thank you, Josh, Julia and George for talking shop with us today some really fascinating insights um, into some really complex issues. We're looking forward to sharing more consumer sector insights in the coming months. But before we close, there's always time for an interesting fact from the world of consumer. Back in 1994, the idea of making a secure credit card transaction online for a physical good was mind-blowing. A college student in Pennsylvania named Dan Cohen changed history when he sold a CD copy of Sting's album Ten Summoner's Tales for $12.48, to a friend who received the disk by mail a few weeks later in Philadelphia. It may be a far cry from today's NFT marketplace, but that one online sale then led down to create the online marketplace net market. As ever, thank you for your time and thank you for listening.